Welcome to Craftsmanship, a podcast discussing technical skill in the contemporary art world told through the oral history of fabricators. My name is Harriet Salmon. I independently produce this series as a free resource and as a record of the last 20 years of fabricators' experiences. Who are fabricators? A fabricator is someone hired to assist in the production of an artwork. Unlike the traditional artist-apprentice relationship that could contain an element of mentorship, a fabricator provides a technical skill to an artist as a paid service. Fabricators can be found in foundries, darkrooms, wood shops, and laboratories in roles ranging from master printmaker to studio assistant. They are part of an unseen mechanism of the contemporary art world and their skills produce objects essential to the global art economy, a market currently estimated to generate over $60 billion in annual sales. With scholars and institutions meticulously documenting the intentions of artists, who is recording the stories of these craftspeople? This podcast will document fabricators' experiences to shine a light on the amazing breadth of talent in the field and to capture this particular moment in the art world. I'm interested in conversations about hierarchies within craft versus concept, questions of intellectual property, trends of de-skilling in the art world, wealth disparity, and the conflict felt by many fabricators between working in art production and being artists in their own right. Today, I'm excited to be talking with Amy Jacobs. Amy is an artist and extremely skilled papermaker who works with the nonprofit Deo Doné. Deo Doné describes itself as a leading nonprofit cultural institution dedicated to serving established and emerging artists through the collaborative creation of contemporary art using the process of hand papermaking. They build community through an exhibition space, public and educational programming, and events. Amy is the co-director of artistic projects and master collaborator at Deo Doné and brings to the institution a long history of paper experience. She attended the Penland School of Crafts in North Carolina for their two-year core fellowship program and Columbia College of Chicago where she received her MFA in interdisciplinary book and paper arts. Amy has assisted at workshops at numerous organizations such as Haystack, Oxbow, Penland, and MoMA. She has fabricated, or as Deo Doné describes it, collaborated with artists including Anne Hamilton, Doho Sun, Jessica Stockholder, Kate Shepard, Jim Hodges, Polly Affelbaum, Melvin Edwards, Glenn Ligon, Gina Beavers, Richard Tuttle, and many, many more. She continues to advocate for paper's capabilities and the technical processes available to artists at Deo Doné. First, I think it's really great that we can have this conversation in Deo Doné mm-hmm. because um, it's such an amazing organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and you have what I would consider to be the best job title of all time. It's like, a pretty crazy one. <laughs> co-director of Artistic Projects and Master Collaborator. Yes. What does that mean? <laughs> it means, and I have a wonderful co-director that I work with, Tatiana mm-hmm. Ginsberg, um, So we both help run the studio spaces here, Mm -hmm. um, and really we're in charge of the artistic projects. So all of the residents that come, um, our different residency programs, our publishing programs, studio rentals, making the paper. So we're running all of that as well as managing the education studio and community studio. Wow. Um, And we're also, we're making all the paper, 
Um, we do a little bit of everything. So we do have one studio manager assistant now who's with us, but um, yeah. So I'm the person who collaborates with artists when they come in. So that's really okay. my absolute main job besides kind of overseeing the studio. Mm -hmm. Is that um, your favorite part? That's okay. my favorite part. That's, I guess, what I should talk about. <laughs> yeah, why? Why is it your Well, okay. The artists that come in, have they worked in paper before, usually? Or are you the... No, okay. no. So most residents that come, or other people that have projects that they want to do, have not worked in paper. Okay. So we have two residency programs right now. A lab grant program, mm -hmm. which is for kind of mid-career established artists, mm -hmm. you know, some well-known artists that come... And then our workspace residency program, which is for New York-based, New York State-based um, artists that it's an application process cool. um, for kind of self-defined emerging artists. So like an open call, people exactly. send in portfolios. Exactly. Great. And um, there's a different panel every year. Mm -hmm. You start, we had, I think, over 200 people wow. apply this year, and there's four spots for that each year, mm -hmm. and then one spot for the lab grant program. Okay. So most of the people that come for the residency programs have never worked in paper. We say 95% haven't. I'm not exactly sure where we got that number, <laughs> but I would say that's probably true Yeah, for the most part. Um, so they're coming in just like anyone that's coming in to take an intro introductory class mm -hmm. um, with very little knowledge of how you make paper, um, and especially making using pulp to make artwork. So a lot of artists use paper as a substrate. They draw, paint, print, any of those things, and they've never thought about using paper in a way that you can make actual artwork from it. Yeah, I feel like when um, I was first introduced to Deodone, when I think paper, I think of something you draw on or maybe mm -hmm. something you like cut and... Mm -hmm fabricate into something, mm -hmm. but could you talk a little bit about um, the different ways you guys manipulate paper or paper pulp? There's sure. like sheet making. And right. So it all starts off with the pulp. Uh -huh. um, so we typically use um, a few different fibers here. You can make paper out of anything that has cellulose in it. Uh -huh. So we tend to use a cotton um, and abaca, which is this beautiful translucent uh, paper that a lot of artists love. It's very seductive. Um, is that a kind of plant, abaca? It or? is. It's mm -hmm. from the family of the banana leaf, oh, so cool. it's a bast fiber. The um, linen, we also use linen mm -hmm. rag. You can use cotton rag. You can use any of those things. You can use all kinds of fibers. So here we manipulate the pulp. I would okay. say that's the best word for it. So obviously we can pull sheets um, and just have plain sheets that an artist yeah. will work on top of. But a lot of what we do here, really using creative techniques that have been, um, some of them developed over the years mm -hmm. by our old artistic director, Paul Wong. Who I mean, was you guys here. have been around for a long time. Yeah, time, right? since 1976. Wow. Yeah, so he developed a lot of um, wonderful creative techniques by chance through working with artists, and I was really lucky to be able to work with him uh -huh. for um, a while to kind of gain all of his secrets. And then a lot of creative techniques we use are like based off um, maybe some printmaking or sculptural or something mm -hmm. like that where we're using pulp to cast with, either in molds, rubber, or plaster. 
um, doing what we call laminate casting, which is shaping sheets that we pull uh-huh. uh, around an armature and either removing the armature so it's hollow or leaving it on. Okay. Kind of um, like a paper skin almost. Exactly. Yeah. Um, especially using that abaca fiber. It can mm-hmm. be very translucent and skin-like. And then um, using mylar stencils to create um, painted, like pulp painted pieces through that, as well as painting with the pulp. We use a linen rag that we beat in our beater, which is how we uh-huh. make the pulp for about 13 hours. Wow. So it's really very What's, what's the material short. that goes into the beater? Just like little... It can be cotton uh-huh. um, or any of those fibers. So we're very lucky in that there's a um, paper supply place over in Brooklyn called Carriage House. So we order a lot of our materials from yeah. there. So we we get partially, pro- partially processed cotton linters okay. that are kind of the... It looks like dust or something? Yeah, they're like the the fines that are all collected and pressed, so it's not really paper, but when you put that into water and beat it, it forms the pulp, um, same with the abaca or linen rag or anything like that, and the longer you beat it, the shorter the fibers get. So for the linen rag, it's really amazing. You can actually use a paintbrush to paint with the pulp. Oh, because the the fibers are so short. They're so short, Mm -hmm. and it's mixed with a aqueous dispersed pigment. and just changing the consistency of those pulp paints, you can do different things. Mm-hmm. So freehand pulp painting using a stencil. We've got a couple techniques. Um, one is called a blowout, which is one of my favorites where you have a, a stencil that you use as a silhouette mm-hmm. um, to then create the image. So you lay down the stencil onto a mm-hmm. piece of wet paper, mm-hmm. and then you take this like pigmented slurry of short fibers mm-hmm. and kind of pour it into the hole in the stencil and then yes. pull it off and it, it leaves yeah. like a pattern. Yeah. Okay. So it sounds simple, <laughs> but it's actually not. And sometimes, you know, there's water involved. So uh-huh. water likes to carry the pulp in different directions. So I feel like a lot of what I'm doing is performing surgery on things mm-hmm. as we're working with someone. And, um, you know, lifting up the mylar can be, like, the hardest part sometimes. Yeah. Just because the water so, makes everything move a little bit? Or? Yeah, or it sticks and it uh-huh. creates air bubbles or something like that. So we figure out a way to make things work. So even now we're still figuring out how to do certain things, which is yeah. really fun. So it's really challenging and it's very fun. So yeah. there's all different ways you can work with pulp. Um, and people like embed things into the embed paper Embed inclusions. Um, What's the craziest thing you've embedded in a sheet of paper? Embedded? Um, my gosh. Was there like a, a chain that I saw? Was there like a piece that was in the last show? Oh, that was a Jim Hodges piece. Yeah. That was actually a paper chain. Oh, okay. That was embedded in paper. And for that piece specifically... It was pushed out into the gallery and allowed to dry mm-hmm. during the run of the gallery show. Oh, so every cool. week they would form a new sheet, put in a new paper chain that was made using a mold. Uh-huh. So they pressed the pulp, pulp into the mold, into the mold. And link by link. Exactly. Wow. And there was a really high shrinkage fiber that was used, so it kind of um, it shrunk, so it would go perfectly around the chain. And yes, so that was... 
Yeah. That was a cool that piece. That was something. People put all kinds of things. Yeah, like whole, whole pieces of textile. Yeah, in, textile. Um, it creates pockets. So there was an interesting project with Anne Hamilton. She was one of the first artists that I worked with, oh, nice. which was really amazing. Um, we did a project with Bang on a Can where we made these pieces of paper that had pockets in them that mm-hmm. musicians could then put their hands or their arms into and it made a really wonderful noise so if you lay that fabric down and you put in you make a sheet lay the fabric down and this is all wet in the wet process uh-huh. lay another sheet down it creates a, a pocket wherever the uh, fabric where, where both pieces of paper don't mm-hmm. adhere to mm-hmm. the exactly. fabric so I know I'm trying to think of the craziest thing I feel like <laughs> We pretty much will say yes to anything. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how a lot of happy accidents are found. You yeah. figure out how things work. As long as it won't damage our equipment, uh-huh. I honestly will try give, give everything anything. a shot. Yeah. And sometimes when I know something won't work very well, I'll still say yes so mm-hmm. we can try it so that someone can see what happens when you fail. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's nice that um, the way your system is set up here, an artist comes in for a period of time, so it's more like an experience with the material instead Mm -hmm. of in a lot of fabrication. It's, I'm paying to have this made, Mm -hmm. and so artists are scared to experiment because they only have a set amount of money to kind of do the thing, but you provide like a... um, almost like a service to like learn and experiment with paper. Exactly. That's a great way of saying that. So because our artists haven't worked with paper much in mm-hmm. a wet studio, um, my job as a collaborator is to make them feel comfortable, to try to teach them about a lot of the materials so that they understand what they do, what they look like dry, um, how they work when they're wet. There's a lot of back and forth uh-huh. with the artists, will make work in there's a lot of we talk a lot before they come in order to figure out what kind of project they think they want to do yeah um then we go in and like see your samples they do do just kind of chat yeah we have a great archive full of over 40 years worth of work that different residents have made over the years um examples of things along with the didactics the mylar the molds Mm. all that kind of stuff so they start to understand how things are made and then they come into the studio on their first day and we basically just play yeah total play all kinds of materials all kinds of techniques and then they think about it more they see what that looks like dry Mm -hmm. so it can take a while for things to dry in our drying systems or air dry they come back in, we look at that, we yeah. talk a little bit more. What is the more. difference between wet and dry? Like, what do you usually hear artists give feedback on um, that? Well, everything looks completely different when it's wet. Uh-huh. Um, it's kind of shinier, and there's a little more texture, or mm-hmm. things are um, just, yeah, it can look completely different. So when things dry, the color gets a little bit little bit duller, and everything is flattened in her big yeah, press. Because so it gets squished. Exactly. Squished, yes. <laughs> and um, so they come in, and usually it's like either, oh, I didn't know it was going to look like that, or, oh, my God, I had no idea it was going to look like that. <laughs> so we kind of go from there. And yeah. when an artist comes in, we have prepped all the materials. Mm-hmm. So all the fibers are beaten. We usually have color swatches. We match all of the color swatches. We set up the entire studio so that when someone comes in, 
the full day is dedicated to making the work. And wow. I'm right there side by side, yeah. pulling sheets. Um, when so you say pulling sheets, can you talk us through like what that sure. looks like? Sure. Just so our yeah. listeners know. So we have a vat full of the wet, um, gooey pulp mm-hmm. very with water. And we have a mold and deckle. So the, the mold is what the screen is on, where yeah. you where the, that the pulp sits on, and then the deckel looks like a frame. You put those together, and then you dip into the vat to scoop up the pulp. You give it a little shake, and all those fibers have connected. Um, hydrogen okay. bonding is occurring, so the water is draining out. That's a sheet of paper right okay. there. So then that is laid onto a piece of fabric mm-hmm. um, to press you know, the sheet down, and that's where you can... That's kind of where we take off from a sheet of pipe. So of that's paper. like a, a blank canvas. It's a almost. blank canvas, yes. yes. So that's when we would use a stencil, paint, um, do all kinds of things. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, the decal mm-hmm. um, is such a beautiful object. Mm-hmm. Um, the mold and decal. Yes, yes. <laughs> the mold and decal. Where do you, do you guys make them here? Like, no, this no. This seems like such specialized equipment. It's super specialized. So, yeah. um, there are people that still make molds. Mm-hmm. Um, we use Western sheet forming techniques here. So the mold makers will actually um, create the, build the molds from usually mahogany wood with brass. They weave the brass screen. Wow. Um, it's such a fine screen. Too. It, it, every, and everything is sewn together. The screen is sewn together um, onto the ribs and the molds do last for a long time. Uh-huh. You have to be very, very careful. They're very, very expensive. Yeah. And there aren't that many people that make really top quality, nice molds. Like, anymore. what's your oldest mold here, do you think? I actually don't know. We've collected a lot of molds over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, laid molds, which are, we have a lot of older laid molds, which means that the screen is basically brass wire that's laid across the mold instead of a woven screen. Okay, so one by one. Maybe. Right. So if you look at old, really old paper and in books or something like that. If you hold it up to the light, you can actually see the lines yes. of the, the screen there. So I actually don't know the oldest mold <laughs> that we have here, but I do know that we have a very large 40 by 60 inch mold here that um, it's pretty big. Yeah. And I, I don't think most paper mills have that size. Mm-hmm. And our mold maker um, or the one that the mold maker that we use said he would never do that again. So (laughs) we have to take very good care of it. um, And it takes two people to pull a a sheet of paper that size. And is that your largest capability for sheets? Actually, you can go bigger. Um, Our hydraulic press that we use to press all of the paper can only accommodate that 40 by 60. We can't go any larger than that. But we have made 7 by 10 foot sheets of paper using a pouring method mm-hmm. where um, we set it up so that everything's nice and level and it's basically a gigantic silk screen that we pour the pulp into okay. and then we just, we've leveled everything so it has a little bit of a different texture than something that you would press in a hydraulic press mm-hmm. because it's air drying. So one side will be a little smoother that was touching the screen yeah, and, and the, the other side's, side's a little. Poured exactly. A little. So, and we have used that um, with a few different artists. Have you guys always had the same presses? I feel like the 
We have a smaller press that I think they um, got in 1976. Wow. I really do think that's been around for yeah. a very long time. Because they're beautiful objects. Yeah. Is one of them called The Crusher? And one of them's <laughs> called The Crusher. That was actually traded. Um, somehow we got that through Pace Prints. I can't uh-huh. remember the exact story right now, but... Yes, it will accommodate our 40 by 60 inch sheets and it will cool. crush crush fingers or something <laughs> like that. So yeah. you have to be very careful. But Yeah, one yeah. of the uh, amazing things, I got to watch the press, press the stack of mm-hmm. um, sheets mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago was that within the stack of fabric and paper pulp that was in there, everyone had been using pigmented mm-hmm. pulp. Mm-hmm. And when it got technical, technical term squished, mm-hmm. All the water running out was totally clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was kind yeah. of amazing to see. Right. Um, so all of the pigments that we use, at least typically, we use aqueous dispersed, uh-huh. dispersed pigments, which um, when you use something called a retention aid, there are positive and negative ions involved. And when you use that retention aid, it adheres that pigment to the fiber. So before okay. you use that, you'll see it kind of sitting in the water. Mm-hmm. Once you add the retention aid, it's really, it's in it's that like fiber. A binder, right, so. right. Of course, sometimes we're working with artists where they want a really bleedy pulp for some reason. So it's just bleedy. And when you do press it, you would see, you would see. some of the pigment. But um, for the most part, yeah. I mean, it's nice that that's another element you can control sure, yeah. in the process. Yeah. Definitely. Can you add things to the pulp to make it a different viscosity? Yes. So we use it's a uh, something called methyl cellulose, mm-hmm. which is a glue. It's used a lot in uh, book binding mm-hmm. normally, and it's water soluble. And just for my layman, sure brains, cellulose is like a plant based. Right. Right. Is it protein? I don't even know what it is. <laughs> yeah. Product. Yes. Plant-based product. It, um, yeah, and the, we use it in order to glue wet on wet. So if okay. we have a collage material that we want to put onto this wet mm-hmm. base sheet, we'll use that to help adhere it through the pressing and the drying process. But that is actually what we use. Um, it's a powder that's mixed into water. It's a little gelatinous. Um, we put it into the pulp paint to kind of help smooth the pulp out so that you mm-hmm. can use it for... Um, for pulp painting or something like that. but there otherwise are, it gets, like, the pulp sticks to pulp and right, it gets kind right. of lumpy. Right, right. It can kind of mar the surface. But there are all kinds of additives that you can use depending on what you want the final result mm-hmm. to be. So you can add um, a clay to it oh. if you want to make it a little bit stronger. Um, I saw some sparkles in a... Oh, yeah, mica, stuff like that. You can make glow-in-the-dark paper, use phosphorescent pigment. Um, Yeah, all kinds of... I mean, it seems... One of the things that seems appealing to me, maybe coming out of uh, backgrounds with um, some mold-making that involves toxic materials, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that a lot of the stuff that's being used in papermaking is is not Mm -hmm. harmful, but has huge... Potential for right. making things. Well, a lot of fibers, you need to help, you need to break them down before, mm-hmm. they're so strong that you have to break them down before you put them into our big beater uh-huh. um, or they won't break up very easily. Something like linen that's very strong or a flax plant or um, hemp or something like that. So typically those things can be cooked in like a lye, uh-huh. which we just don't use anymore. Yeah. 
here <laughs> um, because we don't have a great exhaust system uh-huh. in our studio and it's just it's, too much, it's so. too much so we use something called soda ash which is basically in laundry detergent we just mm. cook the fibers or the material or whatever in um, a pot for a couple hours and it helps to do that and once you've cooked it it kind of dissipates and you can literally just it's really mostly water so you can yeah. dump it you know down the sink or drain yeah. and the beaters are really another really beautiful piece of equipment mm-hmm. um, you showed me they're all machined out of it looks like stainless steel they are and yeah. it looks almost like a um, boat paddle boat wheel yeah. that kind of thrashes the yeah exactly the so there's um, there's a big tub that we fill with water and turn it on and the water starts to carry imagine a big kind of round or oval shape Mm -hmm. the water is being carried around we put the fiber in and it's all going underneath um, a roller so there's a big roller that has these kind of blades on it there's a bed plate on the bottom of the Mm -hmm. the tub underneath the roller that has these grooves in it so when that roller is going around it starts to cut those fibers and hydrate them and macerate Mm -hmm. them so you lower the roller enable um in order to cut the fabric more and more. So we're using something like cotton. Think about how soft it is. Mm -hmm. You you don't need to beat that very long. Um, Sometimes we'll put it in for 20 minutes and it hydrates the fiber, but it's nice and fluffy for casting in a mold. A linen rag that we want to beat down for pulp paint will beat it for like 13 hours. And the roller will be completely down to the bed plate. So it's really... It's really slicing Exactly. It. And you, so. do you have, like, recipes? We do have recipes, yeah, yeah, for casting cotton or a short cotton for something. Um, Are those recipes, like, you guys have created, or is that something that, like, the community passes around, like, this is the standard for casting cotton? Every beater is completely different. <laughs> Every studio that you go to, completely yeah. different. So you kind of have to do beater tests to understand what the fibers will do. Mm-hmm. If the roller's high or if it's really low, do you or like how measure the fiber? Do you take like a magnifying glass or it's just no. like a feel? It's a feel. Yeah. yeah, a lot of what we do is a feel now. It's really hard to describe um, yeah. just from working with the pulp for so long. Um, but because we're doing so many different projects here and we're working with so many different artists, we kind of have these certain recipes that we always follow just for consistency. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have a lot of interns that help us and are learning at the yeah. same time. So we find that if we kind of start with these base pulps, mm-hmm. everybody learns how to beat them the same. And yeah, we're just and consistent. Then it can kind of go from... Yeah. Go from there. Yeah. Where are your interns coming from? Are they art students? Some are, yeah. I think, yeah, most most are art students. The studio interns come from printmaking departments, textile, painting. Um, you know, they love paper, so they want to learn more about it. Right now, all of our intern- internship program participants are not paid, but they're paid in studio time. So there aren't a lot of places yeah. where people can go and make paper. No. And in a place like this with all the equipment that you could need. So they earn studio time that they can use um, over the next few years to come back and and make their own work. So we really try to teach them from the beginning um, how to make the pulp and form sheets of paper, 
dry it, curate yeah. it, all of that kind of stuff. So, and just being around artists and yeah, it seems see- like there's a really nice community here of I think so. People. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you've talked before about one of your favorite things being like the relationship that you um, kind of build with an artist yeah. over time working with them. Can you talk about kind of uh, how you feel that helps collaborating or being a fabricator or right. kind of ways that you let them play that really kind of opens up there? Yeah, so I, I think that because most artists come in and they've never worked in paper, um, they can sometimes be nervous. It doesn't matter how big you are <laughs> or what you've been doing. It's still this like brand new medium mm-hmm. and you don't have control, especially when you're learning. And there's water involved. So yeah. you, I feel like the first time I tried it, I felt like I was like icing a cake on a right. really hot day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was like all kind of going exactly. everywhere. Exactly. <laughs> so part of my job is to, um, like I said, make them comfortable and yeah. just play around when they first come and really help guide them with my knowledge of the pulp, the giant, you know, all of these Mm -hmm. different techniques. Most artists come and either they work in their studio alone, and so maybe they're not used to working side by side with someone, Mm -hmm. or they're used to working in a studio where they have a lot of assistance and they, or they have a lot of people that, you know, will fabricate projects for them. So Mm -hmm. it's a little more one-on-one. Um, a lot of times we have artists that feel like, you know, for our residency programs, like they're going to be the first one to fail. Um, Ursula von Reidingsvard will always, when she talks about her time at working at Dudenay, she'll, she'll say that she really thought, you know, when she first came in, that yeah. she would be that one artist that isn't going to come up with an idea, is totally going to fail. And it it doesn't happen. Yeah. I mean, how long has she been working here now? Uh, for a while now. Yeah. And she did her residency, um, and now she comes back and rents the studio to mm-hmm. work on paper projects at least once or twice a year. Um, so we, we hook, like, people become hooked, and they want to come back in. <laughs> the residency is the starter drug. Exactly, then... <laughs> exactly. So, um, so, yeah, so it's fun for me because it's a total challenge to try to figure out what's someone wants to do I'm really kind of going to I I try to go into their brain um, and understand from what they're saying or examples that they show me yeah do you look at their work beforehand to try to like inspire yourself to think of ways to talk to them yeah absolutely so if I can we try to have a studio visit before Um, so that I am familiar with their their work when they come in and I have ideas already about what they might be interested in yeah. doing. Um, some artists think they know what they're going to do and then completely goes in a totally uh-huh. different direction. Um, how, long do they, how long is the residency? How, how much time do so, they have with you? Yeah, so a lab grant resident, um, they're, they're here a year and mm-hmm. they have typically 13 days in the studio with a collaborator, which wow. does not sound like a lot um, at all. And the workspace residents have five days. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't sound like a lot, but it's amazing the amount of work that someone can do. So they're not here 13 days in a row. Mm -hmm. They come over the course of a year. So we have a conversation. They come in and play around. Another conversation. They come and work in the studio. Everything dries. There's another conversation. So 
it's a long it's a long process. Yeah. People have to think about what they want to do. We have to figure out how they're going to do it. They can we, like prep stencils exactly. For the next time. Have yeah. molds made, all of that kind of stuff. So it's you know it's time. There's yeah. a lot of time, and. Um, like I said, when they come in, everything is totally prepared for them. So they That's walk in the amazing. studio and we're ready to go. Yeah. So we just kind of take off. We also take care of like pressing and drying and all of that. So they're here for the fun part. I mean, yeah. it's all fun, but <laughs> they're, they're here for the action part. Exactly. The action yeah. part. Um, yeah. What's your favorite? Do you have any favorite um, collaboration artist projects that you've worked on? Well, I would have to say... All of them are really fun, <laughs> and all of them are really challenging, mm-hmm. and I mean that, like, sincerely. They're yeah. all, I've worked with so many amazing artists, I kind of can't believe this is, is my job, and I've learned so much about paper and just how to, um, how different artists work and to be in their mind. It's incredible, but I still think one of my favorite projects was with Anne Hamilton, who was... Mm-hmm the first resident that I worked with. And that was the pocket? That was, and working um, to create these kind of, not real, instruments that Uh you could um, play by moving the paper around. Oh, so she was recording the noise or about? It was a whole performance that we did with Bang on a Can at Mass Mocha. Cool. So there were about 38 uh, musicians Uh and they had a conductor and it was kind of call and response. It was in this beautiful old part of Mass Mocha, oh. and um, it was just fascinating to work with her from the beginning. I was actually terrified when I first started <laughs> at DNA because I knew that, that she would be one of the first people. Yeah. She's like one of my favorite artists, and it was great. Like, Did she know she wanted to do a performance, or no, did she just come no, in no. blank? She came in, and she, you know, um, she had no idea. Yeah. So we just played around. She brought a lot of fabrics. Um, from India she had been traveling and then she had been using some like raw wool Mm -hmm. that for some other project and so we started to play around with that too it still had the lanolin in it it was like still had dirt in it or something like that so really just playing around with an abaca fiber that's very translucent okay so putting that inside of um, oh, so you could the see the, the yeah. um, wool and fiber inside. Exactly. And then sometimes on top and adhering it with some pulp. And she ended up having to take a break for a year because she um, did the had the residency at the, or the, the piece at the Park Avenue uh-huh. Armory. Yeah. So she had to take a break. That was amazing. Um, but then when she came back, she thought, you know, I love the way this sounds. Like we were just playing around with the paper one day and she was putting stuff on my arms and on my head and would have me like do different motions and the paper would oh, crinkle like and you rattle. Were experimenting. You yeah. were experimenting. It was great. And the paper has this beautiful rattle to it. Mm-hmm. And she is friends with um, one of the conductors from Bang on a Can or that works with them and said, you know, maybe we could do something very exper- experimental, kind of like a workshop or something yeah. like that. Um and so we went up there. I got to spend a week with her. I made probably over 500 sheets wow. of paper for her and for this whole project. Um, brought in interns. It was really fun. And, yeah, then there was this That's performance. Amazing. So, um, yeah, I've done so many great projects. I was just working with a, a, an artist, Erin Riley, who does uh-huh. a lot of tapestry weaving. 
and we were doing a pulp painting project and it's most of our artists do you know they're working in sculpture they use wood they use glass they use textiles they paint they draw they do all kinds of things so it's so interesting to see what they come up with yeah they like um, come in with a mixed media attitude yeah, already so it was I mean, she was one of my current workspace residents, so she just finished up her whole project, mm-hmm. and we chose which pieces would go into the exhibition, and we're doing an art fair, and so that was, Great. it was fun to work with her and see how she kind of translated how she worked in her studio to coming here. Because yeah. um, all of her work is made on a loom it up is. Until, yeah. until now. It is, and she, and, and people, it, it can change the way they think about materials and mm-hmm. how um, they possibly work in their own studio. We did a, a project for an addition with Carrie Moyer uh-huh. and came up with a way for her to kind of use the, the pulp as well as this mister to kind of, uh, not really paint, but kind of push the pulp around to create this kind of atmosphere. Uh-huh. And then using a stencil um, as a silhouette to kind of block different areas so you could see the painting coming through this and then a couple months later going to see a show that she had and it's kind of the same it's not really the same thing but very similar and it It kind of changed the way exactly so that's really always I mean, very cool to see nice to see yeah what they're doing with you is kind of branching out into their whole whole thing yeah yeah that's great Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes you work on additions for people, is we that right? We do, yeah. So we have, every year we have, um, at least right now, we call it a paper variable edition. Mm-hmm. So we like to bring in an artist that sometimes they've worked here, but sometimes we want to try to get people that have never worked here, never worked in the medium, and do an edition that is variable. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be a small edition of 15. We've also done you know, up to 35 or something like that. So we're working with the artists side by side. So mm-hmm. we come up with um, like a BAT, and then we base all of the work off of that. But the artist is in the studio working with us um, side by side uh-huh. to create this edition. And then other times we come up with the BAT, the artist comes and works here, and then we are doing it without them. So okay. we're in the studio, we're creating the edition, much like a, a print shop. Uh-huh. Um, we also sometimes have artists that know they want to fabricate something out of pulp, and this mm-hmm. is this is rare. We really work with artists in our studio space, but we definitely will collaborate with an artist on fabricating a project for them. Okay. So, so um, you provide an environment to work with artists and kind of educate them about pulp and give mm-hmm. them opportunities, but then you also will do a like service for hire. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And we don't do as much of that, although it's really fun to do that as well. Yeah. So we'll do both. Yeah. Great. Um, what I ask everyone that I interview this mm-hmm. question, what mm-hmm. is your favorite tool? I guess I should say the mold and deckle because that's how you form a sheet of paper, and that's but, very true. Yeah. <laughs> but my favorite tool is probably the tweezers, uh-huh. <laughs> which is really um, not that interesting. But I find that I'm constantly using them all day long. What do you? In the what stu- is- you're just like picking stuff out. You use them to help push pulp into a mold. Uh-huh. You're using them to help lift a mylar. You're repairing something. Um, it's not very glamorous, okay. and I'll probably come up with something else later. <laughs> Do you have that's like a favorite better. pair of tweezers? 
No. <laughs> <laughs> nice and pointy that haven't been dropped on the floor and are yeah. bent. Um, and I guess the other thing, we use this great uh, nozzle called a fogget, which is like a very fine mister that they use in gardening to, to mist uh-huh. plants. Um, and it's we can use that instead of a like regular nozzle on a hose. It's much softer, and so you okay. can do many different things with it. Yeah, I mean, um, one thing that struck me when I came here is that you are, it's really wet. <laughs> you yeah. are hosing <laughs> right. everything down. Everyone's right. wearing knee-high boots and aprons, and everything is kind of running water mm-hmm. across the floor. Yeah. So hosing something down when you say that. Yeah, there's a lot of water. It. You're yes. really spraying hoses around. Yes, yes. The and there are drains in the floor. We're very yeah. lucky. Yeah. This is an amazing studio. I yeah. feel. You guys are in the Navy Yards now, but you were in mm-hmm. Manhattan for the majority for, of... Yeah, we moved to the Navy Yard in 2016. Uh-huh. Um, and before that, we'd been in Manhattan, um, Soho for two of the studios, and then in Midtown. Yeah for 10 years before moving here, and yeah. Thank you so much, Amy, for talking with us about your experiences, and for Deo Doné for hosting our conversation. Listeners can learn more about the residency programs we described and see many of the collaborative artworks at www.deodonay.org. A final credit to the Breas Arislabagia Quintet for our podcast theme song titled Mount Fuji, and please check in and subscribe to future episodes at www.craftsmanshippodcast.com. Thank you.